Hello friends, this is Marianne McKibben-Dana and welcome to The Blue Room. First, a quick announcement. My upcoming book, Hope, A User's Manual, is available for pre-order. Check it out at bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else books are available online. Today we continue our season of Hope Notes in which we look at works of art and pop culture with an eye toward what they have to teach us about hope. In honor of Earth Day, we revisit my 2021 conversation with Sarah Scherschlicht, a Lutheran pastor and climate activist and friend. We discuss WALL-E, Pixar's masterpiece directed by Andrew Stanton. This one is chock full of good stuff, so let's get right to it. One quick note for context, a reminder that these were Zoom conversations and you will hear us make a side comment to Kate, who was one of the people who participated in the chat. I find this movie almost unwatchable in some ways because the portrayal of what happens to the earth just feels so plausible. <laughs> and it's it's an excruciating watch in a lot of ways. I, I do want to know what Kate says. It does have this hopeful, redemptive ending. And yet it's, I also find it an ending just tinged with sadness. You know, there is, there is this kind of possibility there in the end, but oh, I feel heavy laden with how much work that they have to do as they return to an earth that they've never known because it's been 700 years for those of you who remember that part of the movie. I hadn't realized this, but in my reading found that, um, and this may be part of what your daughter may have picked up on is the color palette of the movie, of course, at the beginning is very brown. It's very muted kind of earth tones and there is no bit of green at all, not even on a package or anything until that green plant appears. It's the first instance that we see of that green. But I wondered what was it that was hard, because I think it is hard for young kids uh, maybe to connect with, unless later in the movie you kind of get cute robots doing antics kind of things. But I wonder yeah. where the bleakness, where do you see the bleakness? Well, yeah, I wish she was here because she's a pretty clever talker. Um, but um, I know where I saw the, the bleakness was just how long it had been that humans were away and that there was really nothing, there was nothing growing after 700 years. It was just trash. And the idea that these little robots were going to try to clean it up somehow by just making higher stacks of trash. Um, the hope, I think, came in or the, the hope started to come in with these two little robots developing a relationship, but it still seemed kind of bleak because they're just robots. I don't have the, um, I, I personally don't connect with like the, oh, they're, they're really little people. Um, the kind of, I'm not a Star Wars person either. <laughs> and so the kind of, I kept, I only saw them as robots, I guess. Um, they do get into space. Actually, that's when my daughter really checked out. And I felt in my own self, when they're in space, I felt this just like horrible, like this, <laughs> these are not people anymore, right? They're just, yeah, yeah. they were robots too. And mm -hmm. they even were shaped like robots, right? Like the whole thing was yes. this kind of robotic thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't want to spoil kind of where we're headed later in the conversation because yeah. I do feel like there was a piece of hope that was actually lifted up by the director, Andrew Stanton. But he made a comment in an interview where he said, I'm paraphrasing, but humans are some of the most robotic beings around mm. or something like that. The idea that we kind of have this programming 
And you see that in the beginning of that movie where, where or not the beginning, but when you first see the, the society on the ship, right? Where it's just that consuming and continuing to consume in a way that, yeah, is, is hard. It's a hard watch. I also, I wondered if it was even harder because we've lived the last year behind a screen. Right. And they were so behind a screen all the time and communicating through screens. I actually thought it was really kind of prescient in what happened to us. Um, yes. That all, all interaction was screen-based. Um, right. The, uh, the movie came out in 2008 and it was 2007 that the iPhone was released. Were there particular scenes or, or images that kind of stuck with you either for their kind of bleakness or, or just a little shred of, ooh, that's something that I want to hold on to or, mm -hmm. or think more about? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that really got me was, was names throughout and how when something had a name, it became something kind of distinct and it had a personality. And at the end, the little guy gets the name Mo, that third little robot, and then he's part of their little gang. And the power of names, and of course, that's a lot of what biologists do is name things. Um, and that when you name something, you then have a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And the power of relationship um, throughout this movie was really fascinating. I mean, that's what really changed everything was the, the relatedness. Another, there were so many biblical images. I want to know how much they looked into scripture because there's this whole ark image, right? And, um, and the ark, you know, we, we get away for a while and, and then the earth will be okay if we can leave for a little while. Um, there's this wandering in the wilderness thing. And um, one of the, the big kind of biblical images to me was the crazy people. And I use that term, I know that crazy is not, I don't mean, they are identified by the other robots as kind of the crazy robots. And at one point, Wally gets thrown in kind of the, the mental ward, for lack of a better term. And they're the ones that save, yes. that save everybody. And there's this whole scriptural thing of the fool and the, everyone thought Noah was crazy. And like, who do we think is within the system um, acceptable? And who is mm -hmm. going to tweak the system enough and actually speak truth that looks illogical and chaotic and crazy, but is going to save us, you know, and that's yes. like, so that, that really, those like little wacky creatures screwing up yes. everything, they were right. They were the heroes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watching it this time, I was really struck by the, um, you know, that, that sort of blaring warning sign of the foreign contaminant foreign contaminant. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Wally is in no way an organic being, although they try to anthropomorphize him. And, and, um, and Andrew Stanton said he got the idea when he went to a baseball game and somebody handed him some binoculars and he turned the binoculars around and he started doing like this and sort of making the binoculars look sad and look happy uh -huh. and angry. And, you know, um, so I mean, animators are just, you know, excellent at, at bringing some pathos to these, you know, non-human objects, but he does, I mean, he's got, you know, dirt on his treads and, and there's this kind of warning that, uh, you know, anything natural is to be, you know, seen with suspicion 
Mm-hmm. And I've even been thinking about this and I wonder if you have too, because I've been to your congregation and it's just such a warm kind of lovely, you know, very inclusive community. What happens after the pandemic when we've been through this time where our bodies are carriers of potentially deadly disease and handshakes and hugs and all of these things that we used to do as part of our creatureliness. Mm-hmm go away. Are we going to be in the kind of foreign contaminant kind of uh, mindset? And I wonder how you all, how you think about that. I think we are going to need human touch. I mean, and, and touch actually is not in the, the, when they hold hands, like mm-hmm. one point the humans hold hands and the, the little robots at the very end touch foreheads, you know, there's this kind of human touch thing that I think we need it. I mean, we're going to have to figure out how to touch each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not ever going to be safe, right? It never was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. I'm loving looking at these the images. I loved that satellite one too. The right, right. Yeah, you all are lifting up some beautiful. I mean, I, I feel, Kate mentions the the contrast of put on your Sunday best and then the panning shot of of Earth and and just if there is a better example of irony, I'm not sure what it is. Right. Um, to sort of sort of see that. The, the contrast between those two things. I loved, it's interesting that you, you talked about the naming and how biologists name. I hadn't made this connection, but I, I really loved in the beginning of the movie when, when Wally, he's sort of going through the trash and he'll collect things and he'll sort of pull some things out. And I think there's a, a point where he, he throws away the diamond ring, but he keeps the box. And, and just the whole idea of what do we consider beautiful and what do we consider worth saving and the downside of that is, is, you know, sometimes we choose our own comfort or we choose sort of plastic, non-lasting things. And we see those as beautiful and worthwhile and they come at a cost to this beautiful planet that we're on. Uh, but on the other hand, is maybe that going to be part of what saves us in the end is that we can see beauty in other places than what the culture has traditionally considered beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, what have you all, what have you all clung to as beautiful in this time that you would have missed 15 months ago because we were all kind of in this cycle of production and consuming and I don't know, Sarah, do you have any thoughts about that or? Well, usefulness is beautiful, right? (laughs) Like um, I put on high heel shoes the other day. Holy cow. Those are not beautiful anymore. Um, Right? Yeah. Like what yeah. can, and I think that's part of the movie is like, what is actually useful? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, beautiful. and also nature. I, I have heard from so many people and experienced myself, the, the time in nature of the last year has been so valuable um, and recreating um, in nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that that continues the kind of time and space to keep with nature. I don't think you'll be able to walk in heels again, Kate. I tried it. it <laughs> I say, let it go, let, let it, it go. go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, to evoke another uh, Disney, Disney Universe movie. I had three C's that came out of this for me. Um, chaos, and I wish I had messy as also, but the fact that dirt is what saves it, right? And, and the kind of messiness um, and, and it's when the system got too organized that it stopped working. 
So there was something about chaos saving people. Curiosity was another one that the captain started to get curious and he loved it and he wanted to know more. And even when he they landed at the end and he's like, what's this going to be? We can plant something, you know, and the, the fact that curiosity um, is wild. It is not teamable. When you're curious about something, you you lose control over it. And I think that was a turning point in the movie when he's like, hey, I like this. This is a new part of me. Um, and then the third one was connection. And that when people or robots serving as people maybe got connected, um, then things started to change. And it was when they were kept all kind of separate that things went awry. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I love those, that they come back and one of the things, I mean, thinking about where I see little threads of hope, and I want to ask you that too, how you, how you think about hope when it comes to climate crisis, when it comes to where we are. I love, there, there's something just um, daring about, you know, he, he learns enough to know that he's curious and intrigued and, if, and, and all he needs is this little sprout and he's like, okay, that's enough. And they don't kind of train for it. <laughs> they don't sort of, you know, all do, go through the kind of earth training process. They just are like, hit the, you know, hit the gas, we're heading back and we'll figure it out when we get there. And there's something so just refreshing about that. that it's just like, let's just dive in, you know, that chaos that you were mentioning of just let's, let's um, see what we can do, see what we can learn, see how, what we can grow, um, see if we can grow some pizza trees <laughs> mm-hmm. and and what happens and and that feels very hopeful to me we were talking earlier and you were mentioning the austin channing brown resource that you've shared with your congregation which is not climate related but kind of is um, <laughs> for in a couple of ways and in terms of who will bear the brunt of the coming climate crisis, it will be marginalized communities um, more than the ones in, in power. But I, I wondered if you would share, I, you had, I, I think there was a quote from someone that, that I feel like hooks into this. Yeah. Um, and the woman's name just went totally out of my mind, but I'll, it will come back. But she basically said that she's a black woman and said, you know, my, my ancestors 400 years ago had no hope that they would ever live outside of slavery. They wanted to, but they didn't think that was going to happen. But still, they made love and cooked really good food and had music. And somehow within this system, which was fundamentally oppressive, they found joy and they found love. Um, I was thinking about when we were talking earlier about hope that in the in the scripture, it doesn't say the greatest of these is hope. It says faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these is love. And I think that's right. You know, if there's any motivation to change, it's because we actually love people who are being affected. And it's this isn't future, right? This is mm-hmm. climate change is not happening later. And I think that love and that in that movie, there was a lot of love that developed, and then hope kind of followed, but love actually preceded it. Um, yes. Yeah, that's, that's so you you have, this is a, a segue into where I, I mean, there's all like lots of little glimmers of, of hope in the movie for me, but you're evoking of love. I mean, it actually, um, Andrew Stanton actually is quoted as saying the message of the movie is irrational love defeats life's programming, which mm-hmm. I love. 
and I see that in the, the, the captain as well. He just starts to fall in love with this uh, world that he, his ancestors left behind and is willing to go back and, and claim his whatever agency he has as the captain whose body has been so affected by space that that little captain's shirt doesn't even fit. You know, he's, he's got his little hat on and yet there's this awe and this wonder. And, and I think it is going to take an act of irrational love. And that's what drives, I think the best kind of most hope-filled efforts is life's programming maybe is saying that it's too late and there's nothing we can do. And maybe irrational love says, maybe it is too late, but there are things that we can or should do. Thank you so much for joining us for this encore of Hope Notes in podcast form. Please check my website, MarianneMcKibbenDana.net, where you'll find a schedule of new Hope Notes conversations. We have just a couple left before the summer, and there's a place to register so you can participate in real time. Don't forget to pre-order Hope, a user's manual. And special thanks to Sarah Scherschlicht, whose own book, God Holds You, is coming soon. I'm Marianne McKibbendana, speaking to you from Reston, Virginia, the ancestral land of the Manahoac people. This podcast was produced and edited by Caroline Dana. Thank you, as always, for listening. Steady on. Mm-hmm.